Steve um, preaches, don't leave Steve, and then he takes over the pulpit. Yeah. There was an article in the American Psychologist that suggested fathers are not necessary for the well-being of a child. In part, the article said, we do not believe that the data support the conclusion that fathers are essential to child well-being. The article went on to say that heterosexual parents are not necessary for the well-being of a child. Now, the part that was interesting to me is that the study was based on studying the behavior of non-human primates rather than people. So I'm not sure how much emphasis you would give to that study. Today what I want us to do is to look at what Paul says about fathers as we continue our study in his letter to the Thessalonians. So take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse number 7. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, our working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children." so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. There are several things I want us to look at as we examine this passage of scripture in regards to father. And the first thing I would say is that a Christian father is man enough to love and to express his love. Now, guys, upon saying that, I know that for some men, for some reason, it is difficult to express love. Now, maybe you are one of those who has that difficulty. You love. It's not a matter of loving, but you have difficulty expressing love. I know of one man who loved his wife so much that he almost told her once. It's hard for some men to say, I love you. And yet, look at what the Apostle Paul said in verse number 7. But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having thus a fond affection for you. Now, here Paul is describing a father's affection. The word gentle that is used there, Vine says, is a word frequently used by Greek writers as characterizing a nurse with trying children. Boy, it's hard to be gentle when the children are trying, isn't it? And yet, guys, that's what's required. Even when the children are hard and difficult, you are to be gentle in your dealing with them. He says that he was gentle, and then he mentions a nursing mother, like a nursing mother. 
And that speaks of nourishment. Men, we are to nourish our children. Now, we do that physically. I mean, we want them to be nourished physically. We want them to have the right kind of food. We want our children to grow up. We want them to be strong, all of those things. So we see to it that they are physically nourished. Now, let me say parenthetically to that, that is the job of a parent, not a grandparent. When my grandchildren come to my house, if they want to eat candy and ice cream and cookies and cake, that's what we're going to do. That's not my responsibility. That is the responsibility of a parent. So the parent then nourishes the children. You nourish them physically. You are to nourish them emotionally. Chuck Swindoll said, affection is complete with affirmation and appreciation. Now let me, let me repeat that because I think that's insightful. Affection is complete with affirmation and appreciation. You see, affirmation affirms who the child is. I remember when I was a child growing up, oftentimes it was said to me, now don't forget you're an Estep. I, I didn't know what that meant, but it sounded important to me. And it, and it provided for me a sense of heritage, a sense of identity. Don't forget who you are, see. Affirm who they are. And then we appreciate them for what they do. When our children do something that is worthy of praise, then we express appreciation. So there's affirmation for who they are and appreciation for what they do. Both are critical for a positive self-image. Swindoll continues, affirmation without proper behavior creates problems with responsibility. Now I want to say that again. Affirmation without proper behavior creates problems with responsibility. I personally think that that's what we've gotten into. We affirm without proper behavior. And so what has happened today, because we want everyone to have a good self-esteem, we just affirm no matter what the child does. And so when it comes to ball games, we don't keep score anymore because we don't want there to be any winners or losers. When it comes to grades, we have adjusted those so that no one excels. And everyone is special, which means no one is special. You see, affirmation without proper behavior creates a problem with responsibility. And when we affirm everything the child does, then we eliminate the responsibility. And ladies and gentlemen, self-esteem cannot be given to anyone. Self-esteem is the result of responsibility. When someone lives their life responsibly, then that person has self-esteem. Swindoll continues, appreciation alone creates performance-based approval. Now, when we appreciate all the time, we create within the child a craving for appreciation, so they are always performing because they want to be appreciated. We are to nourish our children. Men, you are to nourish your children physically, make sure they have the right food to eat and so forth. You're to nourish them emotionally, but you're also to nourish them spiritually. My father died at an early age, and I've reflected back on that and what he has left me and what he contributed in my life. And, and I'm so grateful that he contributed to me a spiritual nourishment. 
He taught me to trust the Lord. My dad was a generous man, and he taught me to be generous. I don't, I don't have the problem that some do because of my father. He taught me way back when I was a boy that I could trust the Lord and to be generous and, and so forth. So I'm, I'm thankful for the contribution that he made to my life. Linda and I had the opportunity these past days to be with some of your children in uh, Israel and in Jordan. Now, that was a commitment on your part. I mean, that was a financial commitment to send those kids over there. There were a time or two that I wanted to send Ellen back, but, you know, I mean, they were over there, so we just kept them. But see, you are contributing to the spiritual nourishment of that child. Whenever we do such things, we are contributing to their spiritual nourishment. And that's what Paul is saying, that we are to nourish our children like a nursing mother. Affection, then, results in protection. Look at verse number 8. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Now, a father who loves his children protects his children. You see, the motivation is love. The word affection that is used there is used nowhere else in the New Testament. And it's very difficult to describe in English. Zahn, a German theologian, describes it as a word of great intensity, a term of endearment from the nursery that carries both masculine protection and yet tremendous tenderness. The picture is that of a father who is holding a child so tenderly as if the child might break and yet with such protection defending it against all predators. Isn't that a beautiful picture of that word? And we all know what it means. I remember when Stephanie was born, I scared to death. You remember when your first child was born, they give you that kid and you're saying, what am I going to do with this? I mean, you don't know. You're scared to death and everybody's telling you you're messing them up. But I held her so carefully because I was scared I was going to break her. But I held her tightly because nobody else was going to break her. See, that's what that word means. The word affection that is used there. So the motivation is love and the expression of love is protection. We protect our children. Guys, you protect your children. We protect them physically. How many times have you said to them, don't touch that stove, it's hot. When they'd go out to the street, look both ways before you cross that street. You're protecting them. I was at a ball game the other night where Hughes was playing and I saw him there and he was in the batter's box and he was just about to run out and he didn't have on his helmet. And I yelled at him, I forgot that I was a grandparent. I yelled at him and said, get on your helmet. But we protect those children. Guys, let me say this to you. Should we not protect them spiritually? Boy, there, there, are, so, there are so many things and issues today that are attacking our children. And if you don't protect them spiritually, they will be maimed spiritually. I mean, be careful what they listen to. Be careful what they watch on television. Be careful what they read. We are to protect our children. So a, a Christian father then is man enough to love and to express his love. And that comes with affection and protection. Second thing I see is that fathers are real. Christian fathers are real. We have a program in our church for our men called Real. And the purpose of that is to teach our men to be authentic Christians 
in their family lives. Now, guys, contrary to what you think sometime and the pressure that you're under, your, your kids don't expect you to be perfect. In fact, they've already got an idea that you're not. Your kids don't expect you to be perfect, but they do expect you to be real. And that is an individual thing. Look again in verse number 8. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. See, it's personal, it's individual, our own lives. Someone said, I want to be what my dog thinks I am. Now, that's a pretty high standard. I want to be what my dog thinks that I am. It's important that we are real. Men, if, if I said anything to you, if you heard anything that I say today, I believe it is important that you are real as a man. The Bible says in Philippians 1, 9 and 10, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Paul is saying there, he said, I want you to be sincere. That word sincere is an interesting, colorful word. It literally means without wax. In biblical times, there were a lot of statues, and some of those statues were, had cracks in them and so forth. And so what they would do is to fill them with wax so that they looked like that they were whole. Paul says, I want you to be without wax. I don't, I don't want you to have cracks in you. I don't want you to be pretending that you are something that you are not. I want you to be real. Men, be real as a husband. You know why that's important in part? Men, because your boys are learning how a man is supposed to treat a wife by watching the way you treat their mother. So what are they learning? Your boys are learning how to treat their wives by watching the way you treat their mother. Be real as a husband. Be real as a father. And the reason that is important is because your children are learning by watching you how parents are to treat the children. Be real. Be real as a, as a Christian seven days a week, not just on Sunday morning. Let your children see you pray. Really go to the Lord. Let them see you pray. Let them hear you pray. Pray with them. Let them see you read the Bible, searching the Word of God, not just the sports page. But read the Bible. Let them see a Christian attitude in you. When your children listen to you, when they watch you, do they see a Christian attitude in you? Paul is saying that the child of God, the father, is to be real. Now, a part of being real is being selectively transparent. Now, I say that, selectively transparent, because the fact is your children don't want to know everything about you. You know, son, that's the reason they say, oh, oh dad, or oh, mom, why they don't want to know everything about you, but there are some things they need to know. They need to see as being real. They need you to be transparent in your faith. See, they need to see your faith and the struggles that you go through. They need to see you during those times that you are, that you are searching, those times that you are struggling, and yet they see your faith as being real. I mean, it's something that you can stand on. In fact, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, it gives a definition of faith. Faith is substance. You're aware. Faith is substance. Hebrews 11, verse number 1. Now think about that. Faith is substance. Sub, something beneath. Stance, something you stand on. 
Faith then is something beneath us on which we can stand. It's solid. Faith is, let them see your faith. Let them see you when you struggle. Let them see your fear. Let them see you work through those things and then come to a, a dependence upon God. I think it's important, men, that your children see you as real and that is when they see your faith as transparent. You look again in verse number eight. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to him part to you, not only the gospel. Now, how do we impart our faith? See, that's one of the responsibilities we have as Christian fathers, to impart our faith. How do we do that? Well, by practice, live your faith. Live at your faith. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm chapter 1 because it describes a man of God there. And in Psalm 1 verse 3 it says, And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does he prospers. Now think about that. guy, Because that is the description of a man of God. He's sturdy. He's planted by the water. His roots are gone down deep and when the winds blow and the storms come he is there because he's a man of God. I was talking with Steve back some time ago and he said, you know at that time he said, you know, even though my dad is in his 80s, he said, when he's home, there's always a strength there. That's a man of God. When, whenever you, men, whenever you are men of God, whenever you're men of God, there is a strength in your family that nothing else can give. He's like a tree that is planted by the waters. His roots go down deep and he's there and the family knows they can depend on him. He's strong and he's prosperous. The Bible says that he prospers. It was said of one church leader, and I like this. He asked God for things that nobody else even knew God had. I'd like to be a man like that. He asked God for things nobody else knew God had. So how then do you impart your faith to your children? By practice and by proclamation. Look at verse number 9b. He said, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Men, when fathers are real in their faith and they practice their faith and they proclaim their faith, the children listen. Keith Myring wrote, when the father is an active believer, there's about a 75% likelihood that the children will also become active believers. But if only the mother is a believer, this likelihood is dramatically reduced to 15%. Fathers, to be real. And you demonstrate it by the way you live your lives and by what you say. Then fathers believe in their children. Now look at the strategy in verse number 11. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. The word exhorting that is used there literally means to call to one side. It is the idea of encouragement or persuasion that we are to persuade. Now, we persuade our children to do the things they're supposed to do, do we not? There was one mother said that she persuaded her teenage son to clean up his room by throwing his car keys in there and saying, see if you can find them. 
So we persuade our children to do the things that they are supposed to do. We are also to persuade our children to do spiritual things, the things of God. I'm always mystified by parents, and I've heard this many times, but I'm always mystified when I hear a parent say, well, I'm going to let my I'm going to let my child make their own decision concerning those things. I'm I'm going to let my child make their own decision concerning the church, concerning the Lord, concerning those things. Maybe I know what they mean, maybe I don't. But the question that always comes to my mind is, do do you apply that same logic to other things? And the answer is no. Well, what if your child says, well, you know what? I've decided I'm not going to go to school. I mean, I've been through the fourth grade. I think that's far enough. Or are you going to say, well, I'm going to let them decide? Sheriff Metz was in my office uh, recently. He, he, was at, he came over to check some things about Steve, some bad things we heard about Steve. But <laughs> no, I'm just teasing about that. But he was in my office recently, and, he, and as we were talking, he said, he told me about the number of phone calls that his office gets from parents who want them to send someone over to get the 13-year-old out of bed to go to school. Now, there were two thoughts that came to my mind when he told me that. Number one is I thought, I never needed a sheriff to get my kids out of bed to go to school. I can't imagine that, but that's not the point that I'm wanting to make here. The point that I want to make here is that when it comes to education, we're going to see, we're going to persuade our kids to go, right? When it comes to what they eat, we are going to persuade them that they eat right, but not spiritually? Come on. We're not going to use our influence spiritually to persuade them into things of God? That's what Paul's saying here, exhorting. And then encouraging, the word means to advise, to stimulate. Wearsby said, Paul not only made them feel better, he made them want to do better. How do we stimulate our children to the things of God? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You ought to have those verses underlined in your Bible, man. How, 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 how do we stimulate our, our children to the things of God? Through daily repetition, he says, repeat spiritual matters. Repeat them again and again. It should be a part of your daily conversation. Repeat them. And then he said daily integration. We integrate the things of God into our lives. Men, whenever you're at a ball game, you're watching a ball game, are your children seeing a Christian father watching the ball game? When you're doing business, do your children see a Christian businessman doing business? See, it ought to be a part of, the, the, the word of God is not just theoretical. It should be a part of our lives. And we repeat it daily so that our children see it. And we integrate it into our lives and we demonstrate it so that our children see the gospel. They don't just read the gospel. And then he says imploring. And the word means to testify, to give personal witness. 
Truth is, we encourage our children out of our own experience. We give testimony to God's grace and God's strength in the way we live our lives. That's really how you do it, as your children see. What are the results? Look at verse number 12. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Our purpose, men, is that our children might walk worthy. So then what is a father? What is a Christian father according to what Paul says here? Well, I believe that a Christian father is one who is man enough to love and to express his love. Let me ask you a question. Do your kids know that you love them? Men, do your children know that you... When was the last time you told your kids you loved them? I know that's hard for some of you. But when was the last time you looked them in the eye and said, son, I love you? Or to your daughter, I love you. It's important. A Christian father is someone who loves and is man enough to express it. A Christian father is to be someone who is real, that is evidenced through his practice, the way he lives his life, and his proclamation, the things that he says. And a Christian father believes in their children so that their children might walk worthy. One of my favorite verses underlined in my Bible is 3 John 4, where John wrote, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. I have no greater joy. Men, the way your children live their lives and their level of commitment to God is largely determined by your commitment to God. And when they look at you, what do they see? Our Father in God, thank you for this reminder. Lord, I pray that you would raise up godly fathers who might be a blessing to their wives, to their children, to the church, to the community. Father, I just pray that even today you might reach down and touch the hearts of our men, that they might commit themselves afresh and anew to you. And for those who have never come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, I pray today that they might. Lord, bless the time of invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand, sing a hymn of invitation. An opportunity for you to make a commitment to the Lord. If you're here without Christ, I encourage you today to commit your life to Him. You'll never be sorry. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. But man, let me just say to you, be a godly man. Be a godly man. We desperately need that today. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir sings as they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.